This is On the Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, on to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to the seventh episode of On the Fence Physio. Um, my name, as always, Andy Wiseman, physical therapist in the Maryland DMV area, joined by my co-host, the dashing, the debonair, Matthew Owens. How you doing tonight, Matt? Hey, I'm doing great. Doing great. No complaints down here no complaints. in Indiana. Well, if you have any complaints, you can file them with my assistant. Other than that, don't care. <laughs> <clears throat> so... Splendid thing we're talking about this month. We are reviewing the September conversation. We were on the fence about PT metrics. Which ones do you experience being measured? Which ones do you measure if you're an employer? Which ones are important? Which ones aren't so important? What do they even measure? Um, we definitely wanted to hear some experiences. We got some great involvement from uh, several different folk um, in different levels of management, and we learned a lot. And we're going to talk about all those things. So the first thing I want to get off my chest, I work for a company. They have a name. <laughs> uh, I've worked for a couple of companies. They also have names. I am not here to name names. I'm not here to point fingers. I am not here to try to make anyone feel bad or feel that a corporation is bad or feel that employers that are tracking different metrics are bad. We're not here to criticize. What we are here to is just to talk. We're here to talk about um, different kinds of metrics. We're here to talk about what they measure, what we think about them. Maybe Matt and I will even share our opinions about which ones we think are valuable and which ones do we think aren't that valuable. We are not trying to lose our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> we are easily Googleable. You can find our LinkedIn profiles. You can find our Twitter accounts. By the That's way, you true. can follow yeah. our Twitter accounts at uh, Wiseman DPT and um, what, what's yours? Owens underscore DPT. I threw the underscore um, in. And yep. you can also follow our. Uh, Account, you're probably already following our, of course, um, at OTF Physio for our monthly Twitter That's, discussions. Yeah, how else would you yes, hear about we're not this trying podcast? To get in trouble. <laughs> yes, we are not trying to get ourselves in trouble. So we are going to share some thoughts. We might criticize a thing or two, but we're not doing it because we think companies are evil or bad or anyway need to be reprimanded. But we do think a good company does take the feedback of their employees uh, constructively, right? Am I yes. wrong here? Do you work no, for a company? I, I do work for a company as well. I work for a Private couple employee. companies right now. So, yeah, I think uh, sure. this will all be part of the discussion. But, yeah, in no way do our questions or um, challenges to certain metrics uh, reflect negatively on our employers. These are our views, not those of our employers. That's yeah, we need one of those disclaimer, disclaimer things we'll throw out on the front of the episode. You know, the viewers, the views expressed in this only represent those of the people discussing them. Correct. Ugh. Well, anyway, I think we learned some new vocab terms. You know how much I love vocab, Matt, so I think it's time for vocab with Professor Owens. 
vocab with Professor Owens. Well, there's so many different metric terms. That's what I learned. Some I was familiar with prior to this month. Many I was not. There's still some, and I was looking through some metrics uh, from a, a rehab hospital uh, in the area that I don't know what they mean still. So uh, I think, let's see, on our Twitter feed we talked a lot about uh, PAR, standing for patient yeah. arrival rate. Um, there's PPW, patients per week. Uh, QCUs, quality care units, new evals per week. There's something also termed a discharge rate or a number of visits per case. There's a churn rate, something I'd never heard of before. Unit diversification, net promoter scores, units per visit, patient type rate, uh, functional efficiencies, DCs to community. There's all sorts of all sorts of things. So, Andy, of all those vocab words, which one rocked your boat the most? Um, I was confused the most by the churn rate. It sounds like something I would get on an outboard motor. Yes, well, Craig Pfeiffer <laughs> and Dr. Funk on Twitter, Dr. Josh Funk, mm -hmm. if you want to follow him on Twitter, um, both gave us good definitions and i think the bottom line with churn rate was tracking dropouts basically how often do patients churn out of your care high school or college pt dropouts the best kinds of dropouts oh, the worst kind <laughs> the worst kinds of dropouts so yeah churn rate uh, being how often do patients churn out of your care without uh, let's say a good reason, like a discharge, a progress, they just kind of fall off. And uh, Dr. Funk talked about, in his opinion, that he felt like PT mill style clinics who have just tons of patients coming through don't track it and they don't necessarily care about it because there's always someone else coming in the door. Whereas maybe a smaller mm -hmm. clinic uh, should be more concerned about that. Not that everyone shouldn't, but we should be concerned about that, and what it does is shows uh, the um, care we have for the individual patient and not just looking at them as a number or replaceable. So, yeah, that was a new one for me, churn rate. Okay, so I'll ask the question on everybody's mind. What do we feel like churn rate measures? Like if it's a metric that measures something. We are talking about maybe it's measuring the fact that patients are not finishing their plan of care. But what does that indicate? Well, it could indicate also that a physical therapist or the treating therapist doesn't necessarily have a good grasp on the goal for treatment or understand mm -hmm. where the patient is in their recovery. Maybe the patient feels they're better, mm. but the physical therapist didn't know that. Maybe the patient has gone to seek care with a different medical provider, but the physical therapist mm -hmm. didn't know that. So I think maybe, bottom line, it could show a, a breakdown in communication between the provider and the patient. So uh, you said if they don't have a shared understanding of goal, Ooh, that or sounds maybe way if better. they don't have shared empathy, which sounds like two out of the three things you need for therapeutic alliance. 
a ruptured therapeutic alliance is the worst injury a physical therapy patient can have. <laughs> yeah, that sounds way not better. <laughs> I like those vocab words. Therapeutic alliance. So churn yeah. rate is yeah. yes, oh, measuring it's, it's a like ruptured favorite thing. therapeutic alliance. It's my favorite thing. Because thing. if I can just if I can just make patients like their alliance with whoever their therapist is, whether it be me or somebody else, they're gonna get better. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this so brings up that, a good segue in the types of metri- metrics that we sure. What are what are the track. different types? So this is also a Dr. Funk in the Craig Pfeiffer uh, nugget of wisdom that, in in their opinion, we have two types of metrics: outcome metrics and process metrics. Uh, okay. What's Dr. The Josh Funk says, in his opinion, that. Some of the more traditional metrics are outcome-focused and typically come across as abrasive and or bottom-line focused when discussing with your clinical team. So we could look at an outcome metric as number of visits per case. And there was some discussion that you brought up regarding this on both Reddit and then a research article um, which looked at units build per case. So that would be an outcome. That's what we got at the end of the case. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, um, I would highly recommend that if anybody wants to read tons of whinging and moaning about the field of physical therapy, PT Reddit is the place to be. Oh my gosh, the negativity that's there is palpable. Um, <laughs> like a greater trochanter. You're going to, no, not in Indiana. Sorry, you can't find <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, we'll it. Sometimes, sometimes the patella, I could find the patella occasionally. <laughs> um, just on a need to know basis. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> Don't need any of that kind of humor. Um, so anyway, uh, PZ Reddit, there was someone who was um, a little bit worried because they had gotten some feedback from um, their clinic director about the um, number of visits per case. And they were told that they needed to be around 12 visits per case. And I've heard similar things from different employers in that they say that the, you know, the standard is if your patients aren't getting 12 visits in their plan of care, then they're likely not achieving their goals 100%. Oof, that's a very broad statement, I feel like. So I have a little bit of discrepancy with that one because it's like we – all know if you really think about it for like half a second, maybe maybe two seconds for me, half a second for everybody else. Every patient's a little bit different. That's the easiest thing. Um, that doesn't take into account diagnosis at all. Um, yeah, your BPV patient might get better a little bit faster than your frozen shoulder patient. Those are different things, <laughs> different treatments, different recovery outcomes, different prognoses. Man, you know, like, good. How can we say that you should average 12? Um, you got to take into account every patient's, every PT's caseload. Like, my caseload changes. Like, for some reason, I had some, you know, like uh, last month, I had some podiatrist go absolutely ham with his PT referrals, and I was seeing <laughs> feet galore. Okay, posterior tib tendinopathies, Achilles tendinopathies, and plantar fasciitis. I was swimming to it. And man, sorry, I want to make a joke there, but I feel like I'd be towing the line. <clears throat> Just put your foot down, Matt. <laughs> put your foot in your mouth, Andy. 
<laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, it's time for a heel turn. But anyway, um, we, you know, like my outcomes are going to be so much different than when, you know, like I have a shift in my caseload and I'm having more acute onset of low back pain where I'm just giving them a one-time visit of education, reassurance, and, you know, you use a hot pack and send them back out there to, you know, follow up via telehealth or a phone call one time. Like my discharge rate is going to be so different based on my caseload. So I had a really hard time trying to wrap my head around why we would be tracking that because if your discharge rate was below that 12 visits, that's not even like, you know, like the poster was kind of saying like, I mine's around nine. So I feel like I'm just being effective and efficient. And I feel like that's even a bold claim too, because like maybe you just have a caseload that gets better faster. Maybe any therapist that took your caseload would be around nine. You know, like you, we don't have control over those variables all the time. Um, sometimes patients get better at their own rate. Yeah, and that's something that as residency trained clinicians, especially certified OCS clinicians, right? We we both pursued that certification, hopefully be better therapists, better therapists for our patients. Mm -hmm. But within that training, for me, looking at photo scores, so it's an mm -hmm. outcome measure, there's a decent amount of emphasis placed on that number of visits per case with the idea being, all right, as a residency trained clinician, do I get my patients better faster, right? Uh, is my number of visits per case lower because I'm better at doing, doing this type of thing? And what we've seen in the research is that residency clinicians are no better. Sometimes they actually have more visits per case. And I think what that doesn't say is that being a residency uh, trained clinician doesn't make you any better or more knowledgeable. I think what it says is that that number doesn't really tell us about the quality of care given to a patient. Sure. Yeah, I can, I can get in with that. Um, doesn't photo, so I'm someone who doesn't use photo, also tie patient reported outcome scales to the total number of visits. So how much they change in their PRO versus the number of visits that they're taking care of? They do. Wouldn't that be maybe a slightly better indicator of how patients are improving? If um, if you have one therapist whose patients report they're getting this much better on a PRO per visit and another therapist who's treating in the same clinic or treating a similar patient population, because these things are categorized by kind of by patient diagnosis, right? Or at least by body part. By body um, part. Right. So you're at least getting some, some similarity. Obviously, there's going to be some difference in different diagnoses, of yeah. course. But um, you're getting a little bit more, um, I feel like that information becomes a little bit more generalizable. You can apply it to a few more other patients or and providers because you're, you're just, you're, it's more applicable. Yeah. So I, you're saying with I feel the, like that's a better way to track. Yeah. And I would, I would agree with that. And I think what you're getting at is our outcome metrics should be mm -hmm. specific. Yes, absolutely. You can't take one number and put it across the whole board. So how about right. process metrics? Um, some process metrics outside of outpatient therapy um, in the rehab setting uh, that I saw that, I thought, okay, these are definitely process metrics. So uh, the rehab hospital keeps track of how often education is documented within okay. the daily note. 
um, how often a standardized test is completed in a daily note. Okay. So those would both be okay. process-driven things. Yeah. Um, Any other yeah, pr process um, things? I did a student rotation at RHI, Rehab Hospital of Indiana, and they tracked those things. Um, I just thought of them as another hoop to jump through, but at the time. <laughs> but looking back now, um, if we're tracking is education documented daily, I would say what we're tracking is we're tracking more quality of documentation because education is being provided all the time. I we really hope so. Have we hope so. I have I mean, in my experience so far, <laughs> I will say that, you know, that my own experience. I have yet to like work next to a PT who is like dead silent for the entire session <laughs> or only talking about nonsensical, like, you know, like superfluous information. Like every patient at some point probably asks some question about why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? You know, what about this? What about that? And you get, I have a hard time believing. I mean, like my, my, my sessions are almost entirely education. I can't stop talking. <laughs> talking. That's why uh, we have this podcast. So here's a segue yeah. then. Unit diversification. You and I had just a little back and forth on this on Twitter. Do you feel like that's a process metric or an outcome metric and why? Uh, <laughs> Put the thumb screws on me and tighten them down. I don't know because I don't understand what it's even tracking. Yes, that's a great you're, point. You're, yeah, that's a great point. What you're tracking is you're tracking like what interventions you're selecting for your like caseload of patients for a week. So that number, unit diversification, you know, if it averages 1.0, that means for all four of the main categories, which are therapeutic exercise, therapeutic activity, neuromuscular rehab, manual therapy, the core four, as some people call them. If you're averaging 1.0, that means every single one of your patients come through the door is getting one of those units each. Or, you know, like every four patients, you have one receiving nothing but therapeutic exercise, therapeutic activity for one, neuromuscular head for one, <laughs> manual therapy for one, four units each. You know, so like it just means that you're balancing all those units out amongst all your patients. That's all that would measure. And I don't understand why we track that because that number for me changes week to week. So not a lot, so not I, a lot because yeah, uh, I, I just want to say, say like, it changes, advocate on it, but go ahead. Yeah. 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 It changes for me week to week based on what patients I have and what the deficits of my patient are. Cause call me old fashioned, but I choose what interventions I'm going to do for each patient based on the deficits that I see. So like if I have a patient that is, that has no strength deficit whatsoever, if they are totally strong, their range of motion is great, and I don't have anything I want to stretch or anything I want to strengthen, am I going to do like therapeutic ex exercise with them? No, because there's no exercise that would be therapeutic. It would just be exercise. You know, like if I have a patient that has their, their joints are stable, they can activate their glutes, <laughs> um, they don't have a fall risk, not, they don't need balance training. Like, do I need an MR? You're going to code for the treatment that the patient needs and the reason i bring right. this up is i know back when i was a rehab tech 
many years ago, <laughs> back when I was young, four children. Uh, there was a push within the company I worked for to code more things as therapeutic exercise because the reimbursement rate for that code was the highest at the time. Over the next yeah. past couple of years, insurance companies or the payer looks at their bill and says, oh, this code is billed a ton and we need to save some money. So we're going to reduce the payment on that code by a certain percentage and so on and so forth. So now at today's rate, I think at least in Indiana, uh, functional activity is the best reimbursed code for a, a majority. Therapeutic activity. Yeah. Yeah. Therapeutic activity. Um, so also, um, how's your second unit of therapeutic activity compared to the first unit? Right, depends on the payer. Yeah. Uh -huh. So what? Sometimes less, at, though, right? Yeah, sometimes less. Before. So oh, should we get a second one or not? No, because the first one's the most valuable. So there's some business sides of it. The other thing I would like to say, though, from a clinician standpoint, and not getting after like the money side of it, is it's mm -hmm. easy as a clinician to lump like. Oh, where does uh, patient education go? Where do you typically put it, Andy? I'll just put you on the spot. I put it on what I'm educating yes, about. So educating people... them about a strengthening program yes. that gets put in their ex. Yes. I'm educating them about how to modify their lifting at work. It's yeah. going to be in therapeutic activity. Exactly. I'm somehow educating. Oh, I, I actually, I have put in education about how to use a lacrosse ball to do STM on yourself. I put that education in manual therapy. So that is something <laughs> that I would argue, in my experience, most physical therapists uh -huh. don't do. They think, okay, home uh, home exercise. Most therapists suck. Their I'll say it. I'll say it out loud. Is <laughs> How often do we put our subjective with the patient in therapeutic activity when we're asking about how they're functioning, how they're getting in and out of bed, those types of things? How often do we uh -huh. break up? And this is, you know, this is a little bit much, but if we want to be accurate, how much do we break up parts of our education or parts of our subjective into different parts of the core four? So playing devil's advocate, I think that uh, coding diversification, unit diversification, could be a process metric regarding how well we are tracking where we're actually doing these interventions versus just like, oh, which one do we get the most money for? Throw it in there and try to figure out a way to justify saying that that's where it belongs. Um, so does that make me the angel's advocate? Um, I yes. honor your honor. <laughs> I object. Um, I present for the case. Uh, how much does what you code your unit, you know, whatever intervention you did, how you code it, how much does that affect the patient's outcome? Yeah, it, that much. Zero, that much, right? Yeah. right? It doesn't, it doesn't affect yeah, because the patient outcome, I had this conversation with one of my students. process, right? So that's not an outcome metric. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's a process it's, metric. It's not. It doesn't okay. affect yeah. the outcome at all. That's what I was right? arguing, right? Because <laughs> I, had this I had this conversation with one of my, with one of my students. So I'm, I'm corrupting the youths. So um, they were like, should I code this? Should I build this as therapeutic exercise or should I build this therapeutic activity? And I just looked at them straight in the face and said, it's not gonna, it's not gonna matter to the patient at all. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't change a thing, you already did it. It's already over. <laughs> they don't know whether you build it as therapeutic activity or therapeutic exercise. 
They might see a bill later, you know, and maybe it costs them more money for one unit versus the other. That's the only way it could affect them is potentially financially down the road somewhere if they have to pay for this out of their pocket. So then should you bill on the one that reimburses the lease? You know, is that the thing to do? I think you need to bill for what you do. And I think that brings bill us what to you do. how to pick metrics, oh, how to pick metrics. Is <laughs> don't get you're getting off track, buddy. Um, so well, how to pick metrics is we came across, um, I think a good quote about this from Michael Malbison. Okay, yes, and this yeah. is a good let, segue. Let me give so you a pat on the back this, for this. Right? You can't pat yourself on the back for this. Yes, you found a really good quote, and this quote should be what like every um business PT business owner should be listening to right now. So, Turn your hearing aids up. So, what do you got, Matt? <laughs> number one, how to pick metrics. Number one, define the governing objective. And I'll just go through all four and then we can come back. Number two, develop a theory of cause and effect to assess the drivers of the objective. Three, identify specific actions to help achieve the governing objective. And number four, evaluate your statistics. So, going back to number one, I think what we were talking about or discussing with the um, unit diversification is maybe a not misunderstanding but a clouding or like what is the objective of that metric right so defining the governing objective of your company or why you are providing certain things is very important mm hmm hmm that sounds great. <laughs> so you pick what your company is values and say like, ah, I'm creating my own PPP company. I think these things are important. Yes. So I think the um, quality of care that my patients receive, I want it to be evidence-based, high-quality care. So I'm going to track what? What do you think, what do you think we should track? Matt, based on what we've learned so far, if that's if that's our defining objective, I'm kind of taking going through your list here. So if that's my governing objective, what would be a theory of cause and effect to assess the drivers of that objective? What would be some things if we were just worried about the quality of care that our patients were receiving in our new business? Yeah, if we're trying to um, measure the quality of care, we have to ask, unfortunately, some more detailed questions about what do we mean by quality in our care? Is that, sure. um, is our, that affordability? Yeah. Is that uh, both bang for your buck? Is it patient satisfaction? You know, that's... Okay. Kind of yeah, no, these are all these are really good questions. So I think there's probably a good number of things you can measure there that when you take them into um, consideration altogether, you can get a good idea of your quality of care. So I think evidence-based care follows into three funnels right thanks Eric you have to Mara. funnel it through what yeah Eric <laughs> Mara, citation um your literature right evidence that's out there so are these things somewhat you know is there some basis for them in the literature and it doesn't always have to be like meta-analysis systematic review it can be a case study because sometimes a case study can be really applicable to your specific patient sitting in front of you if they look really like the patient that was in the case study um, they would have to filter that into that clinical gestalt, you know, that, um, clinician decision-making, and that's going to be 
um, you know, where experience of a clinician comes into play. So, I mean, things you could track, um, you could look at for like the first one, you could track clinical practice based on clinical practice guidelines. Um, you can give your um, therapist a survey that has like all the questions that would be in like the clinical practice guidelines for neck pain, right? Um, and see how many of your clinicians are able to, are that do those things and what percentage of those things do they do? Are you at 75% adherence, are you at 80%, are you at 100% adherence to those guidelines? That would let you know if you're following some of the evidence that's out there. Um, patient preference is part of that funnel too. So it should probably be the last part, but patient preference is important. A single, like, you know, like customer satisfaction, you know, like score that every patient was sent a survey of. This is something that um, pretty easy to pretty easy to do. Sending out an email to a patient where they just rate their overall satisfaction. That is measuring at least somewhat, you know, like what quality they perceive that they're receiving, mm -hmm. and what quality the patients perceive that they're re receiving is probably a good indicator of how well they're going to do in PT as well. Yeah, and that within that, Michael. Malbison article, uh, he quoted someone, and I can't quote the quote, uh, but it's not my original idea. The thought is, though, that the metrics you decide to measure are what become important to the company, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so in our pre-podcast talk, the thought was, you need to make Shh, sure... Don't tell them that we planned this. This is all off the cuff. <laughs> ad-lib. <laughs> all ad-lib, yes. Uh, no, but... It's not in the script. <clears throat> defining your governing objective and making that drive the metrics you pick is likely okay. important uh, versus the opposite of picking some metrics and then having those metrics define your governing objective. All right, flip that, reverse it. I just got to ask. So if there are metrics that you choose not to track, is that saying in a way that your company doesn't value those things or at least they don't feel like they're worth pursuing. I would think so. I think it would be saying that those don't necessarily fall under our governing objective. Okay. Um, what statistics, what metrics, I should say, what metrics were we shared with on Twitter by anybody, everybody, that tracked the mental or physical health of the employees? Zero. <laughs> Man, so if that's not important to any companies and then none of them are tracking it, do you wonder why there's burnout in healthcare providers? I don't wonder. Whoa, I, I think right? kinda, there's a Ouch. little clue there. So that's nothing against hey, employers, our employers out there. Yeah. I'm not an employer. I don't know these things. I am an employee. I know that sometimes I feel sad, <laughs> sometimes I feel frustrated. If someone was tracking on that, I would actually appreciate it. And I would give you pretty honest feedback. Um, in a really positive note, let's not talk about all the negatives. Um, my company has recently started a diversity and inclusion task force. And they sent out a company-wide survey that asked some really pointed questions about that were really, um, I would say, showing some vulnerability of the uh, task force asking what the employees thought about current diversity and hiring and inclusion uh, 
processes that are in place in my company. And I really like the transparency that went along with that. I feel like they were looking for real information, real feedback, and tracking on this topic right now might be a little bit late to the game, but it is a very, I feel like, I gotta be careful saying this because I'm super white, guys. I'm so white. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm heterosexual, cisgendered, male, Christian, right-handed, middle class. Like, I am not, I have no repressed identities (laughs) here, guys. But um, I feel like it was a really good step. I feel like it's gotta be a good thing to at least try to identify that this is a problem and identify where it's a problem. Like, that is um, really good. So I'm glad that someone in our company thought that was a reason was a good thing to track because that is a really good thing for us to be tracking on um which isn't necessarily anything to do with patient outcomes or finances or any of that other stuff we've been talking a whole lot about we're just talking about like being good humans right which is fantastic work i love that yeah i like that but i i do think that employers could also track on the mental health status of their providers because healthcare providers are notoriously bad mental health, and they don't take care of their mental health well. Um, and this leads to a lot of, like the rate of physician related, um, you know, physician suicides is absurd. Um, so we need to, we need to track on these things. We need to, we need to catch these things. So if your employers aren't doing it, who is? Yeah. And I think that's a great point that some of these classic metrics like Dr. Funk uh, brought up don't necessarily track what even for most companies, they would say their governing objectives are and in, mm-hmm. instead have maybe been uh, just distracted by or brought in by the numbers, the bottom line. So once again, going back through those four things, we need to define our governing objective for the metrics, develop the theory of cause and effect to assess the drivers of the objective, identify specific actions to help achieve those objectives, and then evaluate the stats to see where you are. Yep. So for all you PT students that are listening and have no idea of the things we're talking about because you haven't had that first job yet, you'll get there. New grads that are listening to this and you know that your performance review is coming up and you're worried about how your your metrics are going to stack up against other PTs in your clinic or how your manager is going to feel about your metrics, Try to think critically about these things. What are they trying to measure? And if you can ask your manager um, and have a a good, honest conversation about what these things are measuring, how important they are to the company that you make them better, um, and talk about strategies that you can do to maybe um, make these things work better. Um, The only thing that I ask you to keep in mind is I'm going to pull up and a very important document for everybody, dun, the dun, APTA dun. Code of Ethics. Oh, ethical high ground here, guys. Um, let's take a look at 7D. So principle 7, sub-sentence D. Physical therapists shall fully disclose any financial interest they have in products or services that they recommend to patients and clients. The services you recommend of coming three times a week or coming two times a week or coming for this many visits or doing these interventions that may be out of pocket or may be reimbursed for insurance, these are things that we need to talk about. It's not just things outside of physical therapy. And if you have a financial conflict of interest, you need to disclose that to your patients. So before the pandemic, 
I received a bonus anytime I saw more than 65 visits in a week. So I had a financial incentive to load my schedule above 100% productivity and I would get paid more. I told patients this. I shared this information. Maybe not with everyone on the first visit, but I eventually brought it up because it is an important thing for me to disclose because it is a financial conflict of interest. I think transparency about these things is not only the right thing to do, it's the ethical thing to do per the American Physical Therapy Association. Kind of hard to argue with that. So if you're being pressured to make financial decisions or make decisions based on financial dis- reasons rather than your clin- clinical reasoning or whether that the the status of the patient in front of you, it does create a financial conflict of interest. And you do need to disclose that. And that is that is really important that you disclose that with your employer, you disclose that with your manager, you disclose that with your patients because financial conflict of interest for healthcare providers are a real issue and there's something that we need to be aware of. You can't just ignore it. For sure. I think that's a good point. And I think it's a it's one of those things that's a good gut check now and then when you're thinking, why am I recommending this frequency duration? Why am I doing this intervention? Why am I keeping my patient for this amount of time? What is my governing objective right behind all those things? So. Hey, my wife just stole my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> perfect. Well, I think it's been a good discussion around metrics. Many more things we could have talked about. Many metric. So many. We didn't talk about all of the things. But I think the 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 bottom line being, hey, let's talk about why we want to measure something, not just the numbers itself. Let let that drive the numbers we look at, and then in all of this, thinking about the patient, but also the healthcare provider and how these numbers reflect on their physical and mental health. Yeah. So what's well, on the said, said. Oh, thank you. What's uh what's on the docket for next month, Andy? Oh, next month we're kind of behind on getting this post out here, but I'll get it out here as soon as possible. The next discussion post will be around where to spend your continuing education dollars. So, you PT students out there, you know, you are already being pressured. I know Matt and I were pressured as third year students to take continuing ed classes <laughs> that were extra money. Okay. We, we were told by our uh, we were told by our professors that they would be good for us. And we didn't know that our professors were actually researchers for the company that was selling us things. They had a conflict of interest. They had a financial conflict and they didn't tell us. So we got uh we got um What's bamboozled? <laughs> <laughs> um, so where do we spend our continuing education money? Um, what's valuable to spend our continuing education money on? How should you spend it? Where should you not spend it? Um, let's talk about these things. I really want to hear more good discussion from people out in the PT Twitter. Um, hear about good classes you've taken, bad classes you've taken, um, good programs, bad programs. Um, love to hear all the stories. So please follow at OTF Physio on the Fence Physio. Get involved with October's discussion. Um, since we're not even having Halloween this year, you got plenty of time for it. <laughs> Halloween's canceled. All right, kids, listen. <laughs> uh, Jory and Margaret, you, you, sh- you shouldn't have said that. They, you know, they listen to this podcast religiously on their, you know, <laughs> kids. Alexa, oh, before that's they go to where bed, our three so, listeners come yeah. from. Two it's their bedtime stories. So it puts them straight to sleep. 
boy. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to all it. Right, that... I'm looking forward to the discussion around continuing education since I spent all mine on residency and now I have to pay for it out of my own pocket for a little while. I, I need some guidance. I don't know what else to learn. <laughs> You've learned everything. You everything. Learned residency. I did. Nothing, there's everything. nothing left to learn. Nothing, nothing <laughs> left. Nothing left. Well, awesome. All right, man. Thanks for the discussion and see you next month. All right. Night, Matt.